Uh, at that time, my idea of a good cup of coffee was a hot, fresh cup. Amen? Over time, I've learned that my standards for coffee were only related to my limited knowledge. I had tried other brands of coffee that were sold in department stores, but now they pale in comparison to my first cup of Starbucks. First cup of Starbucks coffee I drank about 10 years ago. From that point on, I knew that I had not yet had my most delicious, enjoyable cup of coffee until right then and there, Starbucks. Now, some people think that Starbucks coffee is very, very, very strong coffee. Amen. And you're right. It is. Some people don't like the taste of Starbucks coffee. And you know what? They're entitled to their own opinion. Just about everyone who knows me, however, knows that I love a delicious cup of Starbucks. It's a special quality of coffee that thus far is better than any other coffee I've ever tasted. And today, as a coffee connoisseur, I can say without hesitation that Starbucks coffee and its many different flavor variations a coffee that is set apart from all other coffees I've ever tasted. And there are a lot of people who would agree with me. To be set apart from all others means to have a distinct characteristics and a differentiation. Those characteristics are either earned on their own merit or they're assigned by someone based upon some sort of qualifying criteria. In either case, the distinction to be set apart has a meaning and a purpose. Now, to be set apart is something that is much more than proclaiming something different or even better. Amen? Amen. According to God, to be set apart means much more than that. His criterion for being set apart comes down to how he values those who have faith in him and trust in him. Amen. First thing we need to understand about being set apart, and this has to do with everyone who is a believer in this room. Number one, a relationship with Jesus Christ is something special. That's the first thing. A relationship with Jesus Christ is something special. Please take a look, if you will, with me, please, to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at a couple of verses in between here, but just to give you Scripture showing the guideline about how special it is for us to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 14 and 15. And then we're going to also take a look at 2 Corinthians after that. But let's start with this verse. Galatians 6, verses 14 and 15. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Verse 15, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. But what matters instead 
is a new creation. Well, let's take those words new creation and remember that. Because that is what sets you apart. Being a new creation. Now turn with me please to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now, with the knowledge that Jesus Christ desires a relationship with you because he loves you, one can only conclude that it is a special relationship. The fact that he loves you. It's far more than what anyone would call ordinary. Second point. Number two, Christ makes it clear that you are different from those who do not believe in him. Amen. He makes it very clear that you're different from those who don't believe in him. There's a distinction between believers in Christ and unbelievers in Christ. Amen. I would hope you'd say amen to that. That's pretty important. It is clear and unmistakable, and it has everything to do with who Jesus Christ is. Christ is righteous, and in our relationship with him, we are also righteous. Now, stay in 2 Corinthians and flip over to chapter 6. And I want you to see what is being said here about that relationship. And understand, this is how God is looking at Unbelievers and looking at believers. He's making a comparison for us to see. Go to verse 14 in 2 Corinthians 6. And here's a distinction. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? See the distinction? Verse 16. And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see the relationship that God has with believers? It's a familial relationship. He wants you to have this familial, familial relationship that sets you apart. You are distinct. Number three. Another thing that's important about being set apart, you need to allow the relationship with Christ to transform you to his likeness. Amen. Once you get saved, it doesn't stop there. Amen? Okay. There's an ongoing new creation that must be made in this relationship with Jesus Christ. To be set apart involves changing from your old self. Amen? Amen. Changing from your old self. To not only become a new creature, 
but a creature that becomes more and more Christ-like every day. More and more Christ-like every day. Once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't stop. It continues on, and you are nurtured in your relationship with him, and it grows and grows daily, as long as you keep seeking him. That's the important part. Keep seeking him. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Amen. Amen. Be transformed. Allow Jesus Christ to transform you on a daily basis. Notice how I said allow him. You have to want to do this. You have to want to work to do this. It's a daily process. Amen? Fourth point, being conscious of God's call and living with awareness of his presence and his return. We understand who Jesus Christ is, number one, because we read about it in Scripture. But we also need to be aware of what we're doing now that we're believers. We are called to do something. Amen? Every one of us has a call to do something for Jesus Christ. Yes. It doesn't have to be something grandiose. But it does have something to do with being of service to him and being available for him. That's why we're having this discussion today about the elders. They're making themselves available for him, to be used by him, to be of service for him. But it's not just elders. Jesus Christ has declared his distinctive presence and through his promises declares that we all have something to look forward to. And what is that? His return. Amen. We all have something to look forward to. We're not just doing this just to spend time. We're not just doing it to pass the time. We're doing it for a reason and a purpose. We know that Christ is coming soon. With that, we have much to live for as we continue to minister to others about his great commission. We have a a responsibility to serve him and work for him and continue continue to grow daily in him. Now, while God calls each believer to live as if Christ's return is imminent, he calls us to perform tasks here on earth for his glory. Now, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, because this is going to be a, a lot, have a lot to do with what we're doing here today. But please keep in mind that, yes, while we are consecrating the elders today, each and every one of you here in this room who is not an elder has a responsibility. Amen? And they are taking their responsibility very seriously. But we each have a call. We each have something that we can be doing in the kingdom. Verse 11 in Ephesians 4 is very important. Let's start there. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, 
some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with stature measured by Christ's fullness. There's work to do. There's growth to be accomplished. Pick up with verse 14. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with the cleverness and the techniques of deceit. We need to learn more and grow more so that we don't just believe anything anybody tells us. If we're truly listening to Jesus Christ, we'll be prepared for that. And we'll know what's good teaching, we'll know what's good edification, and we'll know what's not so good. Amen. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love and by the proper working of each individual part. What are we talking about here? The body of Christ. Everyone working together for the accomplishment, the full goal for everyone to grow in Christ, everyone to learn in Christ, to the point where you are now so Christ-like, it has a positive influence on everyone you come in contact with. That's what the elders are going to do, that strive to do, but that's the challenge for all of us. Amen? Amen. And also to pray for them as they do that. Praying for each other. Praying for the body. All those things are very important. Now the people that were listed here in Ephesians are hardly the only people that Jesus Christ had appointed. Amen. Or selected to be involved in training. They're just part of the picture. Elders are an important part of the church in that they are the spiritual heads of the church congregation. The spiritual heads. Even with this spiritual authority, elders are to always remember that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Amen? Always remember that. Pastor leads the service, but Christ is always the head of the church. And while the elders are set apart for service by Jesus Christ, they still remain under Christ's authority. To be set apart as one called by God comes with credentials. Remember we talked about credentials with, you know, being a connoisseur? Well, there are credentials that an elder has to have, too, that only God can provide. God is the one who gives the guidelines for those credentials. Please turn to Titus chapter 1, and we'll go through these very quickly. Titus chapter 1, verse, starting with verse 5. Titus chapter 1. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So that sets the stage for it. One who is blameless, verse 6, one who is blameless, the husband of one wife, 
having faithful children and not accused of wildness or rebellion. It wouldn't go very well if the elders were wild and rebellious. Amen? For an overseer, as God's administrator, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught, so that he will be able to both, both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Well, that's a lot of stuff there, isn't it? Amen. That's a huge responsibility. And of course, if you look at Scripture, that's also the qualification of a pastor, too, as well. Huge responsibility. So this is not a small thing. This is a big deal. Flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy 3. The elders have a job to make sure that the people of the church are ministered to, comforted, and that they can do so in a position of that where they can be looked up to, held up to the point of standards where, boy, I want to be like Brother Roscoe. Boy, I want to be like Brother Larry. Boy, I want to be like Brother Ken. But not so much about being like them, but being Christ-like in their actions. Amen? This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires... This is in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3. Excuse me. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Notice the word work. It's not playtime. It's a serious thing. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. Verse 5. Some of you may have this in brackets, but it actually tells you what the expectation is. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Amen. Verse 6, he must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Let me make something very clear. Pray for these men who are elders. Amen. Because each and every one of them have had to deal with some things recently to overcome adversity. I don't think they mind me sharing that because it's quite evident. Pray for them. Pray for them to be covered. Pray for a covering and as well for the pastors as well too. You need to pray for these gentlemen. They have a very, very hard road ahead of them when it comes to service because they're going to be facing a lot of attacks from Satan. Amen? Amen. And they know this. This is nothing that they don't already know and don't already understand. But that certainly doesn't mean that you don't stop praying for them. 
Amen? Amen. Notice that while all believers in Jesus Christ have the rights and privileges of membership in God's family, not every believer can be an elder. Not every believer can be an elder. These verses that we've just read describe the qualifications, the pre-qualifications of an elder, and the ultimate qualification is God's calling of that individual to lead and serve. It's a calling. It's a calling. If God's calling is not a part of the picture, the person cannot truly be set apart for service by God. If it's not a calling, it's just an exercise. That's something to keep in mind. It has to be a calling. Because God is going to bless it if it's a calling. And if they're faithful, if they serve it. Anything that would be done according to a person's own strength rather than being in God's strength, unfortunately, would be outside of God's will. We don't want that. No one would want that. And there's no exceptions to that. So to be set apart, as these brothers have been, is a huge responsibility. Elders have a responsibility because of their spiritual role in the church. They are called to lead, and they're called to lead by example. Amen. To be peacemakers. To pray for us, the church, the members. To teach sound doctrine. To make decisions for the health and welfare of the church, the body of Christ. To be set apart is to live for Jesus Christ with a purpose. Amen. Amen. The role that you're stepping into is not an easy position. Because now you become the publics. And the people who you serve always have a right to either criticize or encourage. They have the right to say you're doing a lousy job, or they have the right to say that you're doing a good job. They will evaluate. But also remember this, God will be the ultimate evaluator. Amen. There's a story that went like this of a new pastor coming into the church. He was a young man, fresh out of seminary. He was quite educated, very eloquent in his speech. And he opened up one Sunday with, the 23rd Psalm. And he pronounced every syllable, stopped at every area he was supposed to stop in, just excellent in his reading of the 23rd Psalm. And the people just praised him for it because of how eloquent he was. And, you know, every word has its own syllable and so forth. He didn't miss one. 
And this older gentleman raised his hand. And he asked, can I read that too? He was not quite as eloquent as the pastor. He didn't hit every syllable in a word. But when he was finished, people were crying. They were not so much praising him about his reading and his ability, but they were crying. And the young pastor asked one of the members as they were going out, what was the difference from the way I read it and the way he read it? And they said, you read the psalm knowing that God was the shepherd. He read the psalm because he has experienced the shepherd. And in your leading, you want people to sense and know that you have experienced the true shepherd. And that you are being shepherding by God as you even shepherd others. The whole process of this area of elders in different denominations, we have different groupings. A.B. Simpson was a Presbyterian, so when he started the Christian Missionary Alliance, he brought in elders. So over in Baptists and some other groups and independent works, you have deacons. But in Episcopalians and Presbyterians and different groups, you have elders. They're basically the same. What makes them the same is this. They serve. They serve. The word deacon means servant. But when you look in the Old Testament and you find the word elder... They were usually servants, even though it may have spoke of the age, because normally you could not serve in that position till you were at least 50 years old. But the function that they served was not because they were aged, they served in the area of being a servant to Israel. And they were servants, and they were called elders. And in the New Testament, Acts chapter 6, they're called deacons. But the same thing somewhat took place. That the people had to look out among themselves, bring these men together, and even at times God says, bring them before him. And even Peter in 6, he says, look out among and bring these men. Both requirements are still there. Men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Men who seek the very heart of God. Let me give you a couple areas of being successful in this work you're going to do. Success is the progressive revelation or realization of a worthy ideal. Success is the progression of the realization of a worthy ideal. The ideal of the church did not start in the mind of man, but in God. And what you have to figure out, is it a worthy ideal to run after? 
Is it a worthy ideal to stay with? And if success in the church is going to take place, it's going to take place based on its leadership. And if the leadership feels it's a worthy ideal in giving my time to, spending my energy on. It is not what you get. So don't get all excited about the position because it's not about what you get or what you gain that makes you successful. It is what you are continuing to do with what you've gotten. So if you've gotten the title or position of an elder, now what do you do with it? Amen. You may gain the position or the title of a pastor, but what are you doing with it? You may gain the position of CEO or president of this or head of this or director of that. But the question is, what are you doing with it? What are you continuing on to do with it? Moses was not successful because of his position. He was successful because he stayed with it during the ups and the downs. And there was times he was frustrated. There was times Moses was ready to run off and quit. There was times that Moses even said to God, God, I didn't father all these children. Why should they be my problem? It is the commitment of staying with it and being faithful to it. Total success is continuing involvement. It's the pursuit of a worthy ideal. It's the pursuit of God's church. To making God's church all that you believe that God would have it to be. It is understanding the need to work in the church. That is never ending. It's never finished. It's ongoing. Is never done. Go with me to Numbers chapter 11. You read the first part of it, Moses, he's complaining and he's complaining about all these things, and it is too much. Any pastor will say, Boy, church is too much. Without God's help, you can't perform it, nor can you do it. So when he gets down in the verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, after all Moses complaining, bring me 70 of Israel's elders. Understand the word elder there didn't mean to bring me the old men. But these men were in positions as elders among the tribes. They were not the ones that were 90 years old, 80 years old. Like I said, had to start at 50 because normally they were not consecrated as elders until past age 50. But he says, bring them to me. There's a reason. Because there's something God wants to do that man can't do. And there's a reason we have asked you men to come forth today because there's something that God has to do that man can't do. 
And oftentimes we miss this. In ministry, you don't need a bodyguard. In ministry, you don't need a cupbearer. In ministry, you don't need nobody to tote your bag, tote your Bible, do for you. In ministry, all you need is God on your side. And if God is on your side, no one can stand against you. So, he says, bring me these 70 elders. Now look what he says. Who are known to you as leaders. They have the ability to do what? To lead. They're already what? Leading. They're already having an influence on the people. And that was what was happening in your lives personally that I saw. You were already influencing people. You were already encouraging people. You were already doing things without a title, without a position, without looking for any rewards. You were already doing it. He says, leaders and officials among the people, have them come to the tent of meetings that they may stand there with you. What are they going to do? They're going to stand with Moses. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to stand with me. That doesn't mean that you're yes men. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with me in everything that I set forth. And I hope that you always have that freedom to speak against something that I'm bringing up. Because you're going to sharpen me. You'll make me go back to the drawing board. You'll make me look at it differently. You may make me even say, hey, your ideal is better than mine. And there's nothing wrong with that. Why? We're on the same team. We're on the team of the Lord. And he says, you're going to come and you're going to stand with me. You're not standing against me. And sometimes with pastors in our mind, we get that people are against us. No, I'm not worried about that. You're with me. And what you're going to do, you're going to help sharpen me. What we're going to do together, we're going to serve the people of Akron Lions Fellowship better. And he says... Have them stand with you there. And look what God's going to do, what Moses couldn't do. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit where? Yeah. God has to make that transition. That you have a heart for the people as a shepherd. You have a heart to serve and, and, and you have a heart of wanting to do and, and all that's good. But to have the heart of the shepherd where you learn to cry for the people, you learn to laugh with the people, you learn to be able to gently correct the people, you're able to encourage the people. That is not about you, it's about the sheep. As Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And that's what we're about. We're about feeding the sheep of the people. And he said he's going to 
take them, but take note of this. He's going to take the spirit from Moses, also give it unto them, but guess what? They don't have the position of Moses. But they're going to stand with Moses. They're going to help Moses in ministry. Going to aid in the ministry. He didn't give them the position of Moses. But he gave them the spirit of Moses in order to be able to carry the burdens of the people and to serve them. Come down into verse 27 with me. Because something takes place and some took place with these men that were there, but there were two who were outside the camp. It says, A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aides since you spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Stop them. Never allow this to come between us. Envy or jealousy. I know my position. You know your position. And never be ashamed of being the elder that God's called you to be. And I'm not going to never be envious. I want you to be more than me. I hope we push each other. You know, as two friends would run track together, and they get there side by side, and they're running, one of them still trying to outrun who? The other. And that's okay. Let's run together. Hey, And Ralph, if you go across that finish line first, I'm going to cheer for you. Larry, if you go across there first, I'm going to cheer for you. If Ken goes across that finish line first, we're going to cheer for him. And if I go across it first, we're going to cheer. But what we're going to be doing is pushing each other, and at the end, we're going to cheer for each other. And he says, Joshua said, son of Nun, Moses, my Lord, stop them. When you're working for the Lord... I'll never want to stop you. Now, if you're doing something that hurt the church or the people, I'm going to do all that I can to stop you. But I'm not going to stop you out of envy. I'm not going to stop you out of jealousy. I'm not going to stop you because the people favor you more. I'm not going to stop you because of some of these fleshly things that we can let get in our way. We want to make sure those things stay out. I want you to be godly elders, not godly pastor helpers. Godly helpers who serve the Lord Jesus Christ in this church. As an elder, you will be moved from self-love to a deeper love. Elders believe in their own self-worth. 
even when they have nothing but a dream. Let your dream and your ideals that hang in the mind push you. That when you shepherd your smaller group that will be assigned to you, that you dream for them. And you have ideals that you want to instill in them and you want to encourage them. So to the congregation, I will say, as the elders are assigned to you and they call you and they talk with you, don't be short. Allow them to do their work and their ministry in your life. And to understand this, and this is something that will always get in the way. When pastors or elders, what pastor or what elder doesn't want the appreciation and the likeness of the well-being of the people that they're serving. You want the people to like you. But you're going to be in a strange position. And in that strange position, you're going to always have to weigh this. Your popularity with the people against the authority of God in your life and your position. A lot of times we fall short because we fall in with the popularity of the people because we want to please the people. Be pleasers of God and let God change the hearts of the people. Because sometimes popularity has too high of a demand. It will demand your integrity. It will demand your intellect to be brought down. It will demand that your ethnic system changes. Don't worry about being popular or if the people really like you. The most important thing is this. God, am I pleasing in your sight? Am I doing the work you want me to do? Am I in the center of your will? Because you can be in the center of the will of the people and out of the will of God. Success. Success is releasing your creativity. God wants you to be created because you have the same Holy Spirit in you that is in me. That is in all of us. But because of the position you hold as elder, God wants to create some things through you that he can minister to his people. Be creative. Be a dreamer. Be a person of ideals. And be a person who is willing to follow the Lord. You want to release your creativity. And the... One of the last things, what you practice is what you will become. What you practice is what you will become. If you practice patience, you will show patience to the people. 
If you practice understanding, you will show understanding to the people. If you really practice love, even in the hardships of times, in the hardest times of your own personal life, you'll still show love. What you practice is what you will become as an elder or leader. The will to serve in this game is everything. Because you are dealing with eternity, which is everything to the people. You will run to it, or you'll run from it. You'll run to the desire of serving and ministering to people, or you're going to run from it. Because people are going to get on your... <laughs> people are going to wear you. People don't care when they're hurting. If you're sleeping, they'll wake you up. And people don't care what's happening in your life. They're only concerned about what's happening where. <laughs> the will to serve is everything. It is before you. Before yourself. You serve. You serve. You serve when you're tired. You serve when you sit. You serve when you have your own crisis that you're going through. You serve when you're going through your own pain. You serve. Because that's what you're called to. To serve. And always be mindful. Jesus said, I come not to be served, but to what? To serve. To serve. Elders served as judges in Exodus 18.12. They served as advisors in Ezekiel 7.26. They served as ruling officials in Deuteronomy 19.12. Positions of honor as an elder in Proverbs 31.23. They sat outside at the temple area and they served at the gates. They corrected, which a lot of times people do not like to be today. So you're going to have to study that. How do I correct this person? The way I correct John, I may not be able to correct James in the same way. The way I approach Susan, I may not be able to approach Gwen that way. And you're going to have to study people and make it an art that you're studying people that you can approach them. And you can share things with them. And remember this and hold it always close. You may see it, but it may not be time to share it. People have to put themselves in a position that they're ready to receive truth about themselves. And it always tells us to speak the truth in love. It just doesn't tell us what time to do it. So we always speak the truth in love. 
But understand, some people can't handle that truth at that moment or at that time. I'm going to ask you five questions. I don't know, we have Ken on the phone? Good morning, Ken. We hope that you can hear us. But these five questions is either a yes or a no. They're around the church and around the people that you're going to serve. And that's what's important. Are we there, Ken? Ken, we need you to say something. All right. We're hearing something. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to try. Ken, good morning. Hope that you're feeling a little better. All the medication are taken this morning. And we're praying for you, brother. We're going to uh, cite off five or six questions here to the elders, and we want you to hear them, and there in your home, you can say yes in your heart, or no. And uh, the questions are simply this here. The first one, will you first and foremost serve the Lord through the position of elders? Yes. Yes. Always keep that in your mind, in your heart, before you. That you're here to serve the Lord, not pastor. You're not the pastor's Auxiliary. You're not the pastor's help. You're not the pastor's uh, tote or carrying my Bible or my briefcase. You're not that. You're here to serve the Lord. Secondly, will you put the things of God before any personal gains in the church? When I say that personal gains, that's that popularity. That's that you get a few little chummy guys over here and they're taking care of things for you or doing this for you. No. In the church, people are bought off in different ways than the world. You always want to have an ear to listen to everybody. But your service is unto the Lord. And is not personal gains. What will this person think about me? What will this person do for me? Thirdly, will you protect the congregation from false teaching and being taken advantage of by members of leadership? Amen. Yes. Thank you, Ken. Because in that is so important. You're, You're becoming the Gatekeepers, in a sense, of teaching the Word of God. That demands you to study. That doesn't mean you'll know everything. And understand, sometimes things will slip by you, but if they slip by you and you catch them, you know to go and what? Correct it. You also know when a pastor or another elder or a Sunday school teacher or a trustee is trying to take advantage of the church. 
And you never allow the church to be taken advantage of. By pastors, by other elders, by trustees, by Sunday school teachers, by anybody else. You never allow the church to be taken advantage of. Fourthly, will you honor God's word by submitting to the authority of it? Thank you. Now understand this, because it's important. Even in our disagreements, even in the things that we may see as vision or dream or directions we want to go, if we cannot chart it out in God's Word, and God's Word has to be the final authority for all of it. It's not about pastor's opinion, your opinion. It has to be settled in the Word of God. And through the Word of God, we all submit to that authority of His Word. Fifth, will you seek the leading of the Holy Spirit in all decisions concerning the church? Seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit brings you that you're not so much in agreement with pastors or with another brother on the team. Where you want to be in agreement with is with God. Larry, Roscoe, Ken, I'm praying you'll always be friends. But if one of you step out of the boundaries of the word... The others will correct. That doesn't mean you always have to agree on an idea or a dream. But you'll hear your brother. And you'll challenge your brother. Show me this in the word. And because one can show it in the word. And one can show you where those ideals are coming from. In the word. That you're willing to submit to that authority of God's word. One of those gray areas that sometimes might cause trouble is going to be this. Works. Because God doesn't describe in his word what is good works. One of those areas of good works might be we're doing something outside in the public that somebody may come and say, we shouldn't be doing that as a church. Is it a good work based on this? It is to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Is it a good work that is showing love to those who are unsaved out here? Is it a good work that you're ministering to others? Because ministering to people is not just giving them per se the gospel as far as eternal life through Jesus Christ, but it is giving them a drink of water. It's putting some clothes on their back. It's educating them. And not just in the things of the Lord, but the things of this world that they might also be successful understanding God also looks for his people in the church to be successful. The other day I was with some pastors and all four of them were shooting down education. And I was about ready to say something. And the Lord just said, be quiet. Be quiet. And the statements were coming out. God didn't choose nobody with no PhD. God didn't choose no 
educated folks. God didn't do this. He just did to normal people. But just because you got a PhD, you still got to go part my expression to the bathroom like everybody else. That makes you just as normal as anybody else. Educate yourself. Read and learn as much as you can. And understand this. There's a reason Paul wrote more books than anyone else. But look at the position in which Paul was in. Paul, you might as well say, had his doctor's degree. Paul wasn't much of a fisherman. He he only learned his trade of tent making because he was raised in that way and in that area. But Paul was a scholar. Push yourself to be a scholar in the things of the Lord. The last, before we pray, will you remind yourself that Jesus is the head of the church? And the reason for that is this. If you constantly remind yourself that Jesus Christ is the head of his church and he's sovereign over his church, you will not have to fight so many fleshly battles because you're counting on Jesus Christ to do the correction of his people. You're counting on Jesus Christ, who is the head of his church, to set things in order. You're counting on Jesus Christ. You're not counting on flesh and blood. You're counting on Jesus Christ to rule over his church. And may I remind you of this. God is never in a hurry. Because even with that wayward person, God's working on. Even when you see something a little bit out of order, give it a little time and see what God's going to do with it before you jump too quick. And in that time while you're waiting, you're praying. You're praying for insight. You're praying for wisdom. You're praying for understanding. You're asking God, do I approach? God, do I speak? Glory, put the right words in my mouth. You're praying. But above all else, remember that it is not the pastor who's the head of the church. It's not the elder group that's the head of the church. It's not the leadership team that's the head of the church. It is not the people who give the most money that's the head of the church. It's not the people who have most knowledge that's the head of the church. There's only one head to this church, and that's Jesus Christ and him alone. And you are dedicated to serve him and him only. Amen? Amen. And the church said? Amen. Amen. We only have one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us here as a team will submit to his leadership and his headship. Amen? Amen. To the ladies. Now I'm going to open up my Bible and make sure I'm correct. Go with me to 1 Timothy 3. These are your husbands. But now you're going to share them. You're going to share them with other women. 
called, boy, they're going to call. You're going to share them with other men. You're going to share them. And in that I say to the men, be cautious, be wise, but yet be gentle. Hear your wives. In verse 11 of chapter 3. Whether you know it or not, the congregation will judge you also. But understand this. As your husband makes his decisions to stand on certain things, never try to defend your husband. The same thing applies to him that applies to a pastor. If God be for him, who can stand against him? You cannot defend him. The only one who can is God. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of what? Respect. Carry yourself in a way that the congregation respects you highly. Allow yourself to be seen as a godly woman without blame. And he says, and not malicious talkers. If by chance you hear your husband praying about something of the church, don't take it out of his prayer meeting with the Lord to others. Don't tear down other people as they work through their problems with your husband. But learn, and this is sometimes very difficult, to close it. To close it. Stand with your husband, but close it. Uphold your husband in prayer. Keep him bathed in prayer that God gives him wisdom. God order his steps. God leads him in decisions. God gives him the right words to speak to others, young, old, all who they may speak to. You pray for him that he be the elder that God has ordained and God has called. But temperance, boy, temperance, self-control. Boy, that sister ain't talking about my husband that way. I'm going to tear her mouth up. Temperance, self-control. I know that's not my husband they're talking about. I'm going to set them straight. Temperance, self-control. You have to be a people of self-control. My children used to come home and say, Dad, why do you let them talk to you like that? Why do you allow them to say things about you like this? Because they would hear it from the kids of the parents. Because the parents would sit at home and talk. And then when the kids, the, the kids would hear it and they share it back. And I said, because I'm a public servant and they have the right to do that. They have a right to complain. They have a right to criticize. They have the right to say I'm wrong or this or that. And the only thing that will make the difference is this, is time. Don't fight on his behalf. Don't try to protect him in any way. If God has called them, 
God will defend them. The last thing is simply this. And trustworthy in everything. Trustworthy in everything. That even in your life, because of who you are, you're going to hear things. But can you be trusted to keep them? And even in your life, there's going to be times that the husband may may say to you, would you help me minister to this young woman? Would you help me minister to this single mother? Would you help me give counsel to this older mother or grandmother about their children? Would you help me? And in that, you have to be trustworthy to keep that information. You have to be trustworthy. That things that you hear, that boy, ooh, boy, I got some new things I can share with folks. No, it has to stay with you. You can't even talk it to each other, per se. It has to stay with you. And Ronnie, it has to stay. You're trustworthy. And sometimes God will allow you to hear for this purpose, that you pray, that you pray, that you pray. And sometimes your prayer might go like this, Lord, allow me to speak to Gwen alone and wait for that moment and that opportunity to come. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for giving yourself to the Lord and to this church as elders and be willing to serve. I'm going to ask that you both will come up here. Melvin, would you come? Wives come too, because we want to dedicate you with them. You're not elders, we recognize that, but you're part of the team with them. And as we dedicate them, we're praying the same prayer for you also. And we want you to truly understand you're going to be called upon to do one thing, serve the Lord. All of you, your calling is to serve. But Paul said, I'm a bondservant unto the Lord. And Paul says, it doesn't matter when you look at 2 Corinthians 10, it doesn't matter what people say about me. I know I'm a servant of the Lord. Amen. And understand this as Melvin went through consecration. Everything in the Old Testament that God used in his temple, it was just normal everything they things, whether it be a plate, whether it be a spoon, whether it be this, or whether it be a piece of cloth, whatever it was, God separated it and made it special. It's not important that the people see you as special, but understand God sees you special. as special. Amen. Amen. That doesn't mean the people are any lesser. 
But he has called you to a certain task, Amen. to a certain job. Melvin, would you lead us off in prayer and I'm going to close. Amen. Father, we just thank you that we have these men who have been brought before you. David, Larry, and Ken. We thank you for their service. We thank you for setting them apart to serve as elders of this church. We ask, Lord, that you just bless them with a heap of blessings, with a covering of protection. We pray, Lord, that they continue to allow the Spirit to guide them in their lives and that they will seek you, seek wisdom in how to minister this church, minister to the people, minister to everyone who comes to them. We thank you that they recognize that you, Lord, are the head of this church and that they will rely upon your wisdom to guide. We thank you again for them, Lord, to, that for them to just continue to seek you in all things. We thank you for the wives as well, too, for their dedication and supporting their husbands and being in ministry with them. We thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you for the ministry of this church and for what you would have us to do. Lord, we want to be obedient to your will. And we thank you for giving us the insight and guidance into your will. Bless these men and their wives. We give you the praise and the thanks in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Father, we dedicate these men and their wives unto you. That you would separate them, Lord, from the normal run of life that they might know what your will is for them each and every day yes. as they work and perform. Yes. We pray, Father, that you would give them the heart of a child. Mm. For you said, Lord, we all must become like little children. Yes. But Lord, give them the toughness of skin as a rhinoceros. Yes. That the things that are said and things that are shot at them will not wound their heart but that their heart will always be a heart of love, a heart of kindness, a heart of giving. No matter, even if they're giving it to their enemy, they can give it in true love. And Father, protect their wives. Guard their hearts. Guard their minds. Give them, Lord, words of encouragement to their husband. Give them words of wisdom, O God, and insight. And Lord, we pray that, Father, you use them in the service here at Aquin Alliance Fellowship. You know we have need of them. And Lord, may they walk uprightly with you. And may they be able to say, as Paul said, that I have finished my course. Lord, minister to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Roscoe, thank you, man. Need you, brother. Need you much. Need you much. Really? Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Amen. Larry, thank you, man. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Need you. And thank you so much. Amen. Ken, Ronnie, thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. We'll work. That concludes this part of our service. And we just want to praise God because as these men start in their new role, they're going to start something different on Sunday morning. 
Hope that you all show up for Sunday morning. Be on time because we're going to start on time with it no matter what time. And we're going to make a few changes. And we're looking forward to it. Amen. As we prepare to give, we want to give with thanksgiving. We want to give just praising God. And I'm just blessed today. It is just a wonderful, wonderful day in the life of Akron Lions Fellowship. And we just praise the Lord. We just praise the Lord. Amen. He's so good. Father, how we just thank you and praise you for the privilege of giving back to you a portion of that which you have given unto us. You have enriched us, O God, not just with funds, but with men and women who are willing to serve. You have enriched us, O God, as a congregation in being faithful unto us. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to work your work in and through Akron Alliance Fellowship for your glory. And Father, we're not perfect. We do have our areas of failures. But Lord, help us to run on. Help us not to lose sight of you. Help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our